1: The substance is here. Christ is better than all the stuff you had in Judaism. He's here. Stop looking at the photos. Now listen very carefully. To be free from the law is to be free from all the shadowy, picture-like laws concerning Jesus. But it does not mean that you are free to disobey moral and ethical laws of God, which are spelled out in the Ten Commandments. And the reason for this is because Those are eternal laws which are tied to God's unchanging moral character.
2: Those eternal laws are written on the conscience of every individual who has ever been born in this world. We are hardwired with this information and know instinctively that certain things are wrong. As Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 states, For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our teacher on this daily radio Bible study. Steve is bringing us the second part of a three-part message on maintaining our freedom in Christ from Galatians chapter 5. At the end of our study today, I'll tell you how you can obtain a CD of all three parts of this message without any interruptions. You can also listen again to just this study in case you missed some important points while you were taking notes. Open your Bible, if you can, to Galatians chapter 5 and have your note paper and pen ready to go. Now here is Pastor Steve.: Here's the
1: problem: Far from developing godly character, legalism actually stifles the fruit the true fruit of godly character from being developed, because its focus is only on conformity, outward conformity to externals, outward behavior, and how things, note this, appear to be, rather than focusing on issues of the heart. Why do I do what I do? Is it to look good before people? Or is it to please the Lord? Inner attitudes, true desires, desires that say, I want to obey what God's word says, simply because I'm his child. I want to please him. Even if nobody else knows about it, I want to please him. This is why Jesus told his followers in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did he mean by this? The scribes and the Pharisees were meticulous people, very religious-looking people. But the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees were only outward, just in appearance only. What they did, they did for the sake of looking good before others in their Jewish community. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who's in heaven. Beware of doing that. He was was warning his followers, do not be like the Pharisees, They do things to be noticed by people. Jesus accused them of being hypocrites because they practiced their righteousness only to be seen and admired by men. They didn't care about true righteousness. How do I know that? Let me just cut right to the chase. If they really cared about true righteousness, if they really cared about obeying God, when God himself showed up in their midst, they would have fallen down and worshipped him. Instead, they went to kill him. They didn't care about righteousness. The epitome of righteousness stood before them, and they hated him. Now, they didn't care about God. They cared about themselves. They didn't care about what what would please God by obeying his word in their hearts out of love. They just cared about others thinking that they were pretty spiritual and and good. And that's why Jesus stressed to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount that obedience to God is far more than, than externally obeying his commands, just doing it on the outside when people can see you. He taught that it also involves obeying him on the inside when no one but God alone can see you. So he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not enough to refrain from physically murdering someone. We must not assassinate them either in our hearts by hating and being angry with them. He tells us that it's not enough for a man to refrain from committing physical adultery, but to obey God's command that he must not commit mental adultery as well. See, the Pharisees were legalists. They were legalists because they reduced the moral laws of God to mere external rules that they could observe. And in doing so, feel pretty good about themselves and think that they were devout and spiritual and righteous before God. Christian legalists, Do the same thing. By coming up with all kinds of extra biblical, external regulations to govern their lives. And these governing rules make them feel pretty good about themselves. Pretty religious. Pretty spiritual. But in reality, they aren't being spiritual at all. Because true spirituality comes when we understand that we've been set free by Christ. Free from trying to perform and merit God's favor, impressing others by conforming to culturally adapted human rules and standards. Listen, I only wish spirituality was a mere checklist. Just check off today. Oh, I did this, spiritual. I only wish it were that. It's not. True spirituality is a matter of the heart. As the indwelling Spirit of God sanctifies us daily and develops Christ-like attitudes in us, and character, so that we recognize our sins. We repent of our sins. It's the mark of a true believer. And we want to obey God's word because we love the Lord. We want to please the Lord, even if nobody else knows what we're doing. That's sanctification. That's spirituality. Listen, far from developing holy Christians, legalism actually turns off many, even from becoming Christians. They don't want anything to do with it because it is a stifling and suffocating kind of Christianity because it is really a human attempt to govern and control behavior rather than the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify. And listen, frankly, this is what turns off many children who grow up in Christian homes because legalism, Projects the Christian faith as a form of bondage. Of a bunch of things that you just can't do. That's all that Christianity is projected as. You just can't do this. Rather than a precious love relationship with Jesus Christ. Who has set us free from religious slavery. So if legalism is wrong then. And it is. And it's unbiblical. And it is unbiblical then why in the world are so many Christians attracted to it? And make no mistake about it, there are many Christians who feel very comfortable and, and are attracted to legalism. Warren Wiersbe, who has written a number of commentaries and has written a wonderful one on Galatians, who was also my pastor when I was a student at uh, college at Moody Bible Institute, he's, he says this in explaining why legalism is attractive to so many Christians. He said, wrote, sad to say, There are many people who feel very insecure with liberty. They would rather be under the tyranny of some leader than to make their own decisions freely. There are some believers who are frightened by the liberty they have in God's grace, so they seek out a fellowship a church that is legalistic and dictatorial where they can let others make their decisions for them. So what he's saying is there are so many who are attracted to legalism because, frankly, they feel safe there. They feel secure. They don't have to think on a daily basis as to what's right and wrong, and they don't have to really be led by the spirit, they're led by their leader, by their church, by conformity to outward rules that everybody in their church says, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. Now, in addition to legalism, the second kind of unbiblical reaction to the concept of true biblical Liberty is known as antinomianism. That's a big word that simply means to be against the law, and another way of expressing it is a license to sin. Antinomianism, against the law. Those who embrace this anti-law view believe that when the Bible says we are not under the Old Testament law, they interpret that to mean that we are free to do anything we want to do, regardless of what the Old Testament law says. That's not true. That's not true. Being set free from the law doesn't mean that we are to disregard God's moral laws as if we're saved by grace so we do whatever we want. It only means that we are no longer obligated to obey all of the ceremonial and judicial laws that once governed Old Testament Israel, like what you can eat, keeping certain feast days, Sabbath day regulations, Ceremonial rituals and things like that. And the reason for this, why we are not to keep those things, is because all of those laws pointed to Christ, and they are fulfilled in him. They're not for us. He's the reality. He's come. Let me show you this. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, therefore, no one is to regard... No one is to to act, rather, as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's talking about the Old Testament laws. Things, here's how he defines those things, which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. What he's saying is this. These ceremonial laws were mere pictures pointing the Jewish people in Old Testament times to Jesus. They were just shadows, that's all. Don't get too excited about a shadow. Christ, though, is the substance, the reality. But there are people today who are intent on following these Old Testament laws, thinking that it somehow, and not just Jewish people, I might add. There are a lot of Jewish wannabes who are into this stuff, thinking that this makes them more biblical in their orientation, But it doesn't. In fact, it's sinful, and I'll tell you why. In focusing on these pictures, these shadows, they do a grave injustice to Jesus himself. What may seem harmless is actually sinful, because in centering their lives around these Old Testament laws, they fail to worship the one to whom these laws point, and that's Christ himself. See, to gaze at these pictures, is to miss looking at Jesus. So wrong. And it's insulting to our Lord. You know what it would be like? It it would be like a husband being more thrilled with a photo of his wife than with his wife. That's exactly what it is. Being more excited about having a picture of her than having her. Now listen very carefully. And by the way, that is what the book of Hebrews is about. It really sums up the book of Hebrews. Stop looking at the pictures. The reality has come. Press forward. You're, you're still in the ABCs, the elementary things of pictures and shadows. The substance is here. Christ is better than all the stuff you had in Judaism. He's here. Stop looking at the photos. Now listen very carefully. To be free from the law is to be free from all the shadowy, picture-like laws concerning Jesus. But it does not mean that you are free to disobey moral and ethical Laws of God, which are spelled out in the Ten Commandments. And the reason for this is because those are eternal laws, which are tied to God's unchanging moral character. Long before these laws were written down on tablets of stone, God wrote them into the hearts of human beings, called a conscience. Conscience is a moral monitor which tells you what's right and wrong. And it's the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Therefore, because God is truth, it is always wrong to lie. Because God is just, it is always wrong to murder. Because God is love, it is always wrong to covet things that belong to others. Because God is the one true God, it is always wrong to make an idol of something or someone. So it is absolutely wrong to think that I've been set free to do whatever I want. That's not true. You break the moral law. Laws of God and you need to be disciplined in a local church setting. It's that serious. Now, I hope that this gives you some sort of a balanced perspective about the question of our liberty in Christ. And, and I, what I wanted to do is not only give you a balanced perspective, but also lay the, the groundwork for what we are about to see in our text here in Galatians 5. Because as we begin the first of our studies of these last two chapters in this epistle, we see that Paul starts off with this message. He commands the Galatians to maintain their liberty in Christ. Maintain it. Stand firm. He, he tells us we've been set free by the Savior So act as those who have been set free. Don't let anyone put you back under bondage. And Paul gives us several reasons why this is so important, why it's so important to maintain our liberty. We're going to take a few Sundays to go through this, but this morning we're only going to have the time to look at the first of these reasons for maintaining our liberty, but it is an important one. It is the foundational one. So let's get into our passage by looking simply at the first reason that Paul gives for maintaining our liberty in Christ. It's this, because Christ has set us free. He's liberated us. He's emancipated us. He set us free. Verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, having just concluded the allegory of chapter 4 by telling us that as believers in Christ, we are in the line of Sarah, the free woman, and therefore as her spiritual children, we too are free. Paul makes what I think is a rather odd sounding statement by telling us that it was for freedom that christ set us free that is odd-sounding. and why do i say that this sounds a bit odd it's because well for what other reason would jesus set us free than to make us free i mean he certainly didn't set us free in order to put us back in bondage again of course he set us free so that we would be free why is paul telling us something that's so obvious who sets you free so that you'd be a slave again Why would Paul say something as obvious as this, that Christ has set you free to be free? Of course, everybody knows that. Well, apparently not everybody knows that because the answer is because the Galatians, having been set free by Jesus through his death on the cross, were in danger now of placing themselves back under bondage as slaves. That's really the the whole point of this passage. Christ had set the Galatians free. And now he's telling them through his inspired representative, the Apostle Paul, to maintain this freedom by standing firm and not allowing the Judaizers to enslave them again. In other words, he's saying if you're going to live a life of true holiness, then you must recognize that the foundation for such a life is grounded in an understanding that Christ has set you free. Here's a critical question we have to ask. In order to understand what he's talking about, we have to ask this. Paul says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But what's the kind of freedom that Paul is referring to? What is he talking about? See, the New Testament speaks of a number of areas in which we were slaves prior to our conversion. But now we've been set free by the Lord. For example, before we were saved, the Bible says we were in bondage to our sin. We were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. We were obligated to do whatever sin dictated. We never said no. We couldn't say no because it was our nature to sin. And we had to follow our nature. Couldn't do anything else but follow our nature. Before salvation, we were not interested in obeying God. In fact, we weren't even capable of obeying God. We didn't have the spirit of God within us. We didn't have a new nature. We just followed the dictates of our old nature. Nature of sin. Paul writes this to the Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? He's saying that unbelievers are characterized by slavery to sin. They do whatever their sin nature dictates. True believers are characterized by being slaves to Jesus Christ, so we want to obey him. But thanks be to God, he writes, that though you were slaves of sin, he's talking about in the past, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. It means the gospel set you free. And having been freed from sin, you become now slaves of righteousness. So, there was and is a slavery to sin. Is that what Paul's referring to? I don't think so. Not here in Galatians 5. Second, the New Testament says that prior to our conversion, we were enslaved to Satan himself, the devil. Now, that may come as a surprise to some of you because you look back and say, you know what, before I was a Christian, I didn't even think about Satan. I didn't believe that there even was a devil that existed. And that may very well be the case. But regardless of how you thought about the devil, he was your master. He was your master. Now, this doesn't mean that prior to our conversion, the devil made us do whatever he wanted us to do, but rather that we were under his tyranny. We were under his control in the sense that we feared dying, and it led us to do things that he wanted us to do. Let me show you this, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. The inspired writer says, speaking of Christ, in verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Christ became a man So he could die to free us from the devil who had captured us because we were afraid of dying. Now, why did we once fear death so much? And and what does this fear of death have to do with, with Satan controlling us? Before we were ever saved, in our hearts, we knew that we were guilty of sin. Everybody does. We knew that we were guilty of sin and therefore we knew that we were not ready to stand before God and be judged for our life, face his holy judgment. We knew that we were sinners and the devil used this fear to enslave us to all sorts of sinful ways to try to cope with this fear of dying such as immersing ourselves in wicked behavior, because we reason something like this. Well, if judgment awaits me, then I might as well enjoy the sinful pleasures of life. You know, while I can, you only go around once in life, so why not enjoy it now? Another strategy the devil uses to gain control over people through the fear of dying is that he creates false religion. He is the author of all false religion, and all false religion All of them deny the existence of hell. They're all built around some form of sentimental love. You find acceptance here. We don't judge anybody. We're just patient and we tolerate everything. It is this denial of hell and judgment that draws people to false religion because they can can be a part of that religion and feel very religious and good about themselves but avoid hearing anything about facing judgment. Kind of just do whatever you want. It's okay. Finally, in the case of some people, Satan's strategy is to lure them into enslavement of drugs and alcohol, and they are attracted to these addictive chemicals because it helps them to drown out the convicting cries of their own conscience. That just cries out saying, Things are wrong. I've not been obedient. And you just try to drown that out and not listen to your conscience. So the New Testament then speaks of a number of ways in which we were once slaves, but we were set free at our conversion. However, note this. The kind of freedom that Paul has in mind here in Galatians 5.1 is not freedom from sin or the devil. Now, those are biblical truths, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the kind of freedom that the Galatians were given and needed to maintain, but were in danger of losing. That's the context and what was it? It was freedom from the bondage of trying to abide by all the rules and laws and regulations from their former pagan religion that they used to follow as the means of trying to achieve a good standing before their heathen deities. See, before the Galatians were saved, these were not Jewish people, these were Gentile pagans, their pagan religion taught them that there, there were certain things that they had to do to appease their gods in order to gain his favor. But all of these heathen religious laws were really a form of slavery because they were obligated to do those things. They were bound to do them.
2: Being trapped in a religious system where tradition overrules scripture is not a very enjoyable way to try to worship God. We will see in our next class just how much Christ has freed us from the tyranny of man-made systems of belief and practice. Be sure to join us. You can learn more about this program and listen again to today's lesson or any of the hundreds of other lessons available for free by going to our website www.firstbyverseradio.org. You may also call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306 or any questions that you may have about this study or about the Bible or to request a CD copy of this entire three-part message. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is supported by listeners like yourself who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you've been blessed by this message, would you consider sending a gift to help maintain this program? You can donate online by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and clicking on the Giving tab. Or give us a call at 727-239-0306. Thanks for listening to today's class. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson.